So for the last couple of weeks, as we started this series, Disconnect, and we're finishing it tonight, and we'll discuss it on Sunday morning, we've been talking about social media, we've been talking about phones, and I said from the very beginning, like, these were not going to be like anti-social media, like social media is bad, get off of Snapchat, and phones are horrible. That was not at all the intention, but for, for two weeks, it, it probably felt like that, because in week one, you remember we talked about how uh, cell phones and social media, the statistics are telling us that it's causing us to become more addicted. And addiction's not a good thing, so it's kind of like one of those wah, wah type messages. And last week, we saw how the research is telling us that social media causes us to have lower self-esteem. It causes us to be unhappy. That's, that's just what, what we're learning from research. The Bible doesn't say it will do that, but we looked at what the Scripture says about that. And what do we do to see what our real self-esteem and self-image should be? So tonight, as we close it out, we're going to be a lot more positive. We're going to talk about what social media can do for the gospel, because social media is powerful. Let me show you just a few stats. If you guys will run through that, I don't have the clicker tonight. Um, hit those first things up. So here's this. I don't know if you know, just Facebook alone, not other social media. If Facebook was a country, it would be the third largest country in the world. Only China and India have more people than Facebook does. Here's another one. There are more people own a mobile device than a toothbrush. Now, if you've got, like, if you've got family from Arkansas, you probably knew that already, but that, that's, there's more people that have a phone than brush their teeth. Next one, a new active user. Now, this isn't like somebody started an account on social media and then they, they stopped using it. This is an active user, someone who's going to engage in it regularly. A new active user of social media is added to the mix every 12 seconds. And here's one more. There are 14 billion, billion videos viewed on Facebook and Snapchat alone each day. I mean, social media is powerful. Third biggest country in the world, 14 billion videos. So, so one of the things that we want to wrestle with, knowing that it's powerful and knowing that it matters, is what do we do with it? Because social media, I mean, it's a reflection of our life. Like, social media records where you go. I mean, I'm not talking about in some big brother creepy way. I mean, just like when you post things, it posts where you go. It keeps track of your friends because you post their pictures up there. So, I mean, it's just, it's these snapshots of our life. Uh, if you're an adult, not me, but some adults, they like to track all of the foods that they eat on social media. Take a picture. of the, Teenagers don't do that, do y'all? Yeah, I mean, that's like an adult thing, taking pictures of everything that they eat. So what social media is doing more than anything before, I drew this out earlier this week, but I'm going to draw it again fresh for you. Social media is showing us how compartmentalized our lives are. And so I could have put this up on PowerPoint, but I think it's be easier for me to draw it for you. So can you all see over there a little bit? Try to get back as I can. So I want you to imagine this is our life because this is how we live. If this was our life, we compartmentalize our lives. And so we have this compartment, and this is school, and we've got this compartment, and it's sports, and we've got family, and we've got church, and we've got friends. Some of you do. Some of you, some of you have, like, friends. But since I drew that, I've got to, now this has to be something. 
This is going to be our food that we eat and post on social media when you're 25. And, and then we've got over here, what else do we have? We'll call it free time. Okay, I'll put Jesus on there for the typical teenager. Okay, here he is. Yeah, put a cross on there because I can't even write Jesus. So, so this, is, this is how we live our life. Now, here's what this looks like, okay? So if you go, well, no, I don't do that. So, oh, how many of you guys are driving? Yeah, okay. So you're driving, and you're hanging out with a bunch of your friends, and they're in the car with you, and you're driving, and somebody cuts in front of you and slams on the brake, and you slam on your brakes, and it, it panics you for a minute because you, you almost get in a wreck, and you know if that happens, your parents are going to kill you. And so all of a sudden, some words start coming out of your mouth because you're angry. They listen. If you were sitting right here in this compartment, would not be said. So you're there with all your friends, and, and you're like, blankety blank, you stupid blankety blank, because you're angry. You go home, and your parents go, hey, you're grounded for whatever reason, and you're angry, but you do not go, you stupid blankety blanks, <laughs> right? Because if you did, we wouldn't have this because this is your life and your life would be over, okay? <laughs> so here's the deal. You come in and, and you respond, you do things in your free time that make it look like you're a different person than you might when you're at school. The choices you make, the way you talk to people, the things you talk about, we have these compartmentalized lives. And so we see that even on social media. We see this compartment, and we see this compartment. Rarely do we see this compartment, right? I mean, you're not like hanging out with mom and dad tonight, awesome Friday night, watching Sound of Music. You know, I mean, not... this, this gets, you know, maybe some social media love. This rarely does. This, this really doesn't. And so we, we have these compartments we move in and out of, and we, we have a different person that presents themselves in each compartment. Now, this is not a biblical view of how to live. This, this is what our, our biblical view would look like. Let me draw our life here, my giant rectangle. So as a believer, if you go, hey, I'm following Jesus, Jesus isn't a cross down here in a compartment that's like, hey, Jesus is reserved for, I remember to do a devotional. I remember to do my quiet time this morning. So I got my little compartment of Jesus, and I'm mad I'm mad because when I'm reading the Bible, God says something in, his, in the Bible that, that I feel uncomfortable about. Like, God, like you might be struggling with like, someone you're dating and, and like, you feel pressured for sex and you read the scripture that morning and, and it's talking about saving sex for marriage. And so you're kind of like mad at God because God, why would you do that? Even there, you're not like, God, you blankety blank. Like, right? Like y'all are nervous because I said blankety blank about God. Y'all are like, ooh, ooh. You don't do that because it's compartmentalized. But if Jesus is Lord, then Jesus is in the center of my life. Now, I've got, I don't remember how I drew it all out. I've got sports, and I've got school, and I've got friends, and I've got family, and I've got free time, and I've got church. I've got some food, because Jesus should affect the way we eat, Right? Church talks about obesity and or talks about gluttony, all things in moderation. So, so here's how the, 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 our life should look. It, it looks a lot more like this. 
so we're not compartmentalized off because Jesus is Lord and he's the center of my life. He affects everything in my life. And so when that happens, when I get, somebody cuts me off and I'm with all of my friends and I get angry, I respond. Now again, part of this is discipleship of, of growing your spiritual maturity. I respond like Jesus would. And, if, and the way you respond like Jesus would when somebody cuts you off is gonna look very, very similar to the way you respond when you go home and you find out you're grounded. Of course, the more you walk with Jesus, the less grounded you're gonna be. So there's that. But and, and my free time, my free time doesn't look so different from my church time because Jesus is at the center and he's flowing into everything that I do. So I said at the beginning, social media shows how compartmentalized we are because if this was the life we were living, the things that we put on social media, where we go, our friends we're hanging out with, what we eat if you're old, all of those different things, they would all be nuanced and flavored by Jesus because he affects everything that we do. The way we talk on social media, the things that we're doing. We're gonna have some conversation. There's gonna be some Facebook or Snapchats or some Instagrams that, that look more like here's what God showed me today then here's what so-and-so said today. Because he's the center of our life and he flows into even the compartment of our social media life. So social media is showing us that, that Jesus isn't really first and foremost in, in a lot of different ways for us. So first, we've got to figure out how to live like this rather than like that. Once we do, our social media starts to reflect like that because that's a picture of who we are. But here's the, here's the question I want to ask you next. Even when you get here, how much of social media will you use intentionally and strategically for the gospel? That was that, that, was that intro video we just watched. That's why we picked it because that, that was the, the joke on it. You know, and he's going, hey, we just go knock on every door. And the other guy says, well, why don't you just use some of the tools that you have? We've already seen it's one of the most powerful tools in the world. 14 billion video views. Everybody's on social media. More people, social media, phones, than they do toothbrushes. I mean, it's, it's a big deal. So how do we strategically, intentionally start using technology and social media to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? So let me talk about intentionality for a second. There's a school district in California that in the course of a real short period of time, and I'm not, I don't really know the details of how long it was. I just know it was a short period of time. They had two students in their school district that committed suicide. And so the school district, hey, this is a big deal. We lost two kids. It's affected our schools. It's affected our families. And so here's what this school district did. They hired a company, and they spend $40,000 a year to this company. And they gave the company permission. I don't know how they all figured it out, but there were 14,000 social media accounts that were owned by teenagers in that school district. And they've paid this company. What the company does is it basically has an algorithm and monitors all 14,000 of those social media accounts, and it looks for things like suicidal behavior, suicidal tendencies, talk about bullying, truancy, threats on the school, and it takes all of those things, and it sends a message regularly to the school that says, here's, here's what our system has found. Now, there's a lot of parents that are upset about this, a lot of kids. Like, it's, that's an invasion of my privacy, and the courts have come back and said, no, it's not. It's a public account, like there's nothing illegal here. But they still feel like 
Big Brother's looking in. So it's been controversial in the news. But here's what happened shortly after they started this. The school district got a report that the computer system brought out from all of those accounts and kind of tagged one of the teenagers in the school district that said, hey, this kid seems like from a social media post that he might be a high risk for suicide. So the school district talked about it with the other things, got a hold of the parents, said, hey, here's what we found out. Here's what we want you to know. They got the kid into the conversation. And lo and behold, that teenager had plans of taking his own life. And the school district then, because they found out about it, resourced the parent and the kid with some counseling and some other tools, and the kid overcame all of those tendencies and feelings, and his life was saved. Now, again, some controversy. And whether you think that's great or not, my point is this, it was intentional. It was a school district that went, hey, listen, hey, let's use social media to help us. Let's use social media to advance our cause of teenagers graduating from high school. And so they did that. So here's the bottom line. We talked about um, self-esteem. We've talked about addiction. Hit that bottom line for us. Here's where we're going this week. Hit that next slide. Social media is what I want you to understand. It could be our tool to help others do the same. Now, here's what I mean by that. If you've been around for a while, you know where I'm going. Our vision and our mission as a church is to what? Love God. Love God. And help others do the same. So what if we were intentional, purposeful about using social media and the technology tools that we have to help others love God and love people better? Go to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture this week. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's, a, I mean, I actually had a whole other passage we were going to look at and, and, and get into and just as I was going through, I, I didn't want to do Matthew 28 because it's a real famous verse. I, I, honestly, I've probably taught on it within the last year. I wouldn't be surprised. If you take notes, you might go, you did this like four weeks ago. I, I could. It's one of those passages that a lot of people, if you grew up in a church, are familiar with. So here's the context. Jesus is in the fourth quarter, okay? It's at the end. He's, all, he's accomplished his purpose. He's done his teaching. He's done his miracles. He's already died on the cross, and he's already been resurrected when Matthew write, tells us what happened. So Matthew is one of the disciples, and he's writing his account. So near the end, it's the last thing he says, Jesus is going to ascend into heaven not too long after this. And Jesus is having a final or kind of close to a final conversation with his disciples. And he says these famous verses, starting in verse 19. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Sounds like a, it sounds like a missionary call. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. I mean, it's almost like when we read it, it feels like Jesus saying, hey, you gotta leave the United States and go to Brazil or England or Poland or Romania or China or wherever. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Hey, by the way, December 6th or 7th, coming up in December, we're going to do one more baptism night um, right over here at Collide. If that's something you're thinking about, that's a part of discipleship, following Jesus' example of baptism. We're going to be doing that. Jesus says, hey, you need to go and make disciples and baptize them. So that's, that's a part of this, this walk of faith that we have. But here's what's, here's what's interesting. Sometimes when you have the Greek, which is what the New Testament was originally written in, when you understand the Greek, sometimes it paints a picture for us that our English translation doesn't always help us with. So when you read this, go and make disciples of all nations. Like I said, it feels kind of like a missionary call, right? The nations are someplace else. 
But the word go in the Greek, that, that first verb, is actually best translated, uh, if you get the tense of the verb and, and the understanding of it, as you are going. So a, a better English translation would be, as you are going, therefore, make disciples of all nations. As, as, as you're going about your day, as you're going to school, as you're headed out to the baseball field, as you're headed over to band practice, as, as you're going inside your house with your little brother, your older sister, your parents, as you're going, as you're doing what you normally do, make disciples. Well, if social media is giving us an account of our as I'm going, it ought to, it ought to be a tool that we use as we're going. So as I'm going, I'm making disciples. Now here, let me, let me, get, let me, let me pull the curtain back here because here's what I'm not suggesting. I'm not suggesting that every day you start tweeting a Bible verse or snapping an inspirational quote. I, I'm not even talking about like telling everybody about Jesus. See, here's, here's one of the misconceptions. If you grew up in the church, you're at a disadvantage over some students who might have walked in the room who have never been church, and here's why. When we talk about making disciples as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, what, what people who have grown up in church think is this. They think that means I get somebody to pray a prayer to accept Christ and then maybe see them get baptized and then I'm done. I got it good. I, I made a disciple. They, 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 they are now a Christian. I've made a disciple. Check it off. And I go tell everybody, man, I got to, I got to lead so-and-so to Christ. I made a disciple. That is not making disciples. It's helping people love God and it's helping people love people. And so it's not like this one-time thing, hey, I shared Christ, they made a decision done. It's walking with somebody, it's being in a small group with them, it's, it's encouraging them along the way, it's walking through the valley with them, it's celebrating on the mountains with them. That's what making a disciple is. So I don't want you to hear this, like, like this is not a win. If you walk out of here and go, okay, I'm gonna start posting Bible verses, that's not really a win. I mean, it's not bad. I mean, if, if you do that, I mean, that's, that's, it's better than nothing. But we're talking about how can, I, how can I really lean in and use social media to change my world? So there's a guy. He was the uh, CEO of Interstate Batteries. And I'm going blank on his name. His name is Norm Miller. So I looked down at that. Norm Miller started when he was a young guy selling batteries out of the back of a truck. And then about two and a half years in, he was, he'd done well in the company. He was setting up uh, Interstate Battery distributors around. I mean, he really kind of promoted you know, Fast Track. And then, years down the road, he became CEO. Here, here's a picture of him from, of Interstate Battery. Show that picture. I mean, he, he does stuff with, you know, the race cars. So he's the guy who got the gold arrow on him. Well, Norm Miller was not always a believer, obviously. In fact, when he was coming up in the company, he started drinking quite a bit and got two different DWIs over the course of some years. And then one night while he was driving drunk after those, he got pulled over by the cops. It was going to be his third DWI. He was anticipating that he was going to jail. He was going to lose his job. Everything would come collapsing down. For some reason, whatever reason, the police officer didn't look at his background or anything like that and let him go. But that was his rock bottom moment. And he realized, man, I could have lost it all. And that's when he realized alcohol has become a problem with me. He called a buddy of his and his buddy said, hey, I need, you need to come to church with me. And so he started, he said, okay, I'll go. So this friend 
took him to Sunday school, and Norm Miller said later, he said, the crazy thing is I walked into church like thinking, these people are all perfect. They've all, like, they're all Christians. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a loser. And he walked in, and the Sunday school teacher was smoking a cigarette and reading out of the Bible. And he was like, okay, I guess, I guess I'm going to make it. Like, this is going to do So started getting plugged in that church. Then started going to a Bible study with that same friend on a weeknight. And through reading the Scripture and his friend discipling him, Norm Miller became a follower of Jesus Christ. And when he was 70 years old, 70 years old, knowing, hey, I'm on the back half of my life. I'm going to be seeing Jesus soon. He started wrestling with, what can I do? What can I do to make sure that everybody that I could possibly let know about Jesus knows about Jesus? And so he asked him this question. He asked himself this great question. He said, if I was going to sell more batteries, what would I do? He said, well, I'd make a media campaign. So he started a media campaign for the gospel, talked to several different churches in Dallas, connected with another organization, and he made one called I Am Second, which you might have heard of. Do we have that video loaded up of what they do? I'm going to show you a little three-minute video of what I Am Second's doing. So none of us in this room, even if we pulled all of our money together, could do something that big. I mean, that, that's huge. That's a guy that's a multi-million dollar CEO of a huge company. But there are some things we could do to be intentional, to, to use social media to be the tool that helps others do the same, to be discipled. So here's the deal. You've got to come up with something. And I am going to give you some application because you know I love application. I love giving you ideas of what you can do to apply what we talk about. But here's the deal. Social media is your world. The next great tool that God uses when it comes to social media and the gospel and furthering his kingdom is probably not going to come from a 42-year-old. It's probably going to come from a 15-year-old who understands social media and how it works better. So, you're going to need to come up with your own application. I'm going to give you some 40-year-old thoughts on that. But here's one. It's not, I, don't, I didn't even have this on the notes. I just was thinking about it uh, watching the I Am Second videos. You know, they, have, they use I Am Second groups all over the world. And what they do is they watch the videos and discuss it. Well, I mean, if you're like, they even have I Am Second groups in schools. I mean, you could start one of those. Or maybe if you're in here and you're on leadership for FCA or something like that, and you're struggling with what are we going to do every week when we meet? Maybe you pull some, some sports heroes from the I Am Seconds, and you go, hey, we're going to watch this testimony, and we're going to talk about it. I think they even have like, like talking point guys and stuff like that. Then you could even post it on a social media, and that could be your advertisement. We're, watch, we're talking about this guy or this girl tomorrow at 9 o'clock at FCA or whatever. I mean, it just, there's different things you could use. So let me, let me give you some other thoughts. Here, here's the first one. Use social media to tell your story. And I don't mean this. I don't mean like type out your testimony and put it on. So I mean, if you want to, that's fantastic. But tell your story about what God is doing in your life as you go. That's the Matthew 28. As you're going, what's God doing in your life? I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm giving you an example. I'm not at all trying to like, you know, use you for like collide advertising and things like that. But if God says something to you on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning or an event, as you're going, I mean, that ought to be something that, you, that you're using as a tool to tell the world, to tell my friend, here's what God is showing me. And your friends start to see that. And it's, again, it's not about like, I'm gonna post my testimony written out, you know, every three days for everybody to see. But it's just as you're going, you stop just seeing the lens through a compartmentalized life. And you start seeing everything that you do through the eyes of Jesus because he's, he's boss. It'd be, you know, it'd be cool. 
I can't do this. Again, it's going to be a 15-year-old. We're not going to make an I am second thing. I'd love. It'd be so cool if someplace, even on our website or someplace, we had your stories, your testimonies, not just of how you met Jesus, but what God's doing in your life now, that some teenager that loves to edit video would go, man, I'm going to start recording stories of people, and I'm going to start posting them online that other people could share and, and friends could see, and somebody could say, hey, here's my story, and they could, they could post it up. Or even just like I was telling, telling parents, like from a church standpoint, like wins. When God does great things, these, these victories that we celebrate, we capture those stories so people can be encouraged. I mean, so there's some ways like that that social media could be used to tell the story of Jesus. So here, here's the second idea, maybe. And again, you've got to flesh it out, how it works. Second one is this. You can use social media as like your prayer guide and a way to have conversations with people. So follow me here. If you went home tonight and you opened up Instagram, Snapchat, whatever it is, and you started going through a feed, you're going to see snapshots of your friends' lives, right? What if you intentionally use that as your prayer guide? I'm, that, that story, Instagram, they say a picture is worth a thousand words. You see that, that picture, oftentimes it might tell you something that you can pray about for that friend. It might just be their picture, and you go, well, I'm going to pray for them by name. It might be someplace that they're going or something that they said or they post a struggle that they're wrestling with. And it gives you these, I'm gonna pray for that, I'm gonna pray for that, I'm gonna pray for that, and pray for that. And you can just use that as a prayer guide. And then when your parents are like, would you get off of Instagram? You can be like, I'm praying, mom, dad, cut me some slack, right? But you better not be lying, you better actually be praying. Here's the other thing, I mean, use it to have some spiritual conversations. Not, here's the last thing I put in there, not arguments. Don't, we don't need arguments. On social media, it's really easy to be like, you know, real tough talking with people that you don't know and you're never going to see again, and to, and to get in a fight about who Jesus is. We don't need that. But spiritual conversations. Let me, let me give you an example. So there's a, a young lady. Her name's Lori. She was in my youth ministry many moons ago, over two decades ago. She is almost 40, probably, late 30s. She's got kids. She's married. And she posted on Facebook, where the 30-somethings hang out, a complaint her husband has worked for a company for over 20 years. And every year, for the past 20 years, they get off Thanksgiving. They get off several days right around Christmas. And she said, this year, they're working on Thanksgiving and they're working on Christmas Day. And she said, not only does that stink because for 20 years it hasn't been that way, but my husband, I mean, let, let the new guys do that. My husband's worked there for 20 years. And even his seniority, he's going to be there Thanksgiving, Christmas. She was like, it's like ruined Christmas. So I sent her a private message talking about spiritual conversations to help others do the same, to disciple somebody. And so I told her this. I said, hey, Lori, I know, I know you asked for my input, but as one of your former pastors, I'm going to give it to you anyway. And I said, I know it stinks that your husband's working on Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I know for a lot of people, the day matters. Like Christmas Day matters. And, and the birthday, the day you're born on matters. <clears throat> and I said, but in the grand scheme of things, when your kids, who, who she, as as a parent, she's the primary disciple. I said, your kids are going to remember more of the memories and great things you do as a family than they will the day. I said, let me give you some examples. What if on Christmas Eve, you and your kids baked as many cookies as you possibly could, and on Christmas Day, took them to your, the company where your husband works? And what if y'all came in the door, because he's not the only one working on Christmas Day. There's a lot of people there away from their family. What if you guys walked in and you took Christmas desserts 
to everybody to, to brighten up their Christmas. And so if you can't get in, he works at a plant. I said, maybe you can't get in the plant. Maybe you go to some other places where people are working, a gas station, things like that, where people work on Christmas Day, and you and your kids go around and just bless people all Christmas morning long until your husband gets off work and you can meet together and celebrate Christmas. I said, or what if your husband's been gone in the morning? What if on Christmas Eve, you just made the decision that starting at five o'clock on Christmas Eve, we're gonna open one present every three hours. And you open at five o'clock, you open at eight o'clock, you go to bed, you get the next morning and it's nine o'clock, your husband's at work, so you go, hey, we're gonna take a pause. And, and then when he gets there, you, you open him again, you know, every so often. Just something different. Create some kind of memory that they'll remember. And I said, at the end of the day, this might actually be better than what you've ever experienced. Your kids might go, mom, remember that Christmas when we took cookies everywhere? That was so awesome. And instead of begrudging, you'd be like, man, this was fantastic. And she, she emailed back, she said, or sent a message back. She said, man, thank you, that's, that's a great idea. Just taking this social media moment to disciple somebody. You could do that too. Again, you gotta be careful. You know, if somebody's complaining about something, you don't have to comment on everything. You may not do it publicly, but you know, privately say, hey, I see you, see you struggling with this and I've been praying for you about it. Maybe that's all you say until they respond back. But you use social media as a tool. I'll tell you one last story. The band's gonna come up. We're gonna sing one more song. We're actually gonna do a game tonight at the end, give away some prizes. So don't run out. Let me, let me give you this example of social media. So on Facebook, there's a guy, his name's Sam. Sam's a youth minister up in North Texas, like almost on the Oklahoma border. And Sam started this Facebook group, and it's simply called Texas Youth Ministers. I, I don't think there's ever been one before, like four months ago, which is crazy because it's been around forever. So now there's 700 youth ministers in this group, and occasionally, a couple, I mean, several times a day, I, I get, not just to me, but to the group, questions about youth ministry, and what do I do here, and does anybody have a resource for this? And now all of a sudden, everybody is discipling each other. So let me tell you the cool story. You know what a bivocational minister is? This person has two jobs. They're a full-time pastor, a full-time youth minister, but they also have a full-time, like, regular job. Like, my full-time job is right here. Like, blow some of your minds. I don't just come in on Wednesdays and Sundays. I'm here all week long doing stuff. What do you do? I don't know, but it's a lot. Um, some people don't have that luxury afforded to them. So they, they, like, work at a plant 40 hours a week, and they do youth ministry on the side. It's called bivocational, two jobs. So this Facebook group has started with all of these youth ministers. And so this, this uh, group called Conclave, which is a youth ministry conference, the person who runs it got on the group and said, hey, I want to offer up, I want you to get any bivocational youth minister in this group to put their name in, and we're going to give one of them, we're going to do a drawing, we're going to give one of them a free pass, a free ticket to the conference. And then another youth minister who's in the group, just a regular person, saw it and said, hey, I'll match it. So pick two youth ministers. And so they did. And two guys had an opportunity to take their spouse up to Arlington and, and get three days worth of pouring into pastors preaching, worship music, conference breakouts where they could not just get better at youth ministry, but there were conferences about how to build your marriage, how to walk deeper with Jesus. Discipleship for adults. Because somebody thought intentionally, I'm gonna use social media, I'm gonna make a group where people can learn from each other and some discipleship moments happen. So what will you do? How will you use the tools that God's given you and placed before you 
to get the gospel to the world, to take it to the nations, to make disciples of all nations. I'm really excited about seeing what some of the ideas I hope you'll come up with. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to stand and sing. Father, thank you for our band leading us in worship. God, I thank you for tools, social media tools that, that you've given us that we can use to talk to billions of people. And God, tonight I pray for creative ideas that these students could use to tell your story to the world through social media. It's in Jesus' name we pray.